within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. Very cool. It's awesome you're, you guys set up to play another campaign already. Sorry that movie night didn't work out with the summer, but, you know, it'll happen. It's not like you guys haven't seen it before. Well, maybe your younger players haven't. But, yeah, I'm going to read over Relic tonight, but sounds cool. And I look forward to your next episode. Take care. Hello, Lonely Adventurer. This is Minion of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. I just wanted to call in. I listened to your last episode. I think it's number 37. Probably got the number wrong. When you just finished the the campaign. Um, it was really nice to hear that recap. And I know you've been away for a while as well. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say, really. Um, just keep it up. Yeah, I, I do really appreciate the um, that two weeks versus one week sort of thing. I, I really want to get back into playing every week. I really enjoy uh, GMing. I really enjoy having that kind of like home group meeting up and that sort of uh, high point to the week. Um, but it, it's likely to uh, be a case where everybody is, you know, well, people have young kids as well. And while mine's grown up, that's not the case. So it might be a while before we can see the uh, the Osaka adventurers. That's my group. Move on to a, a weekly, weekly uh, session if ever. But um, yeah, it's always good to hear from you. Um, as for me, I'm thinking of moving back from Swords and Wizardry to first edition AD&D of all places. That's really bizarre. Uh, we've done a bit of fifth edition um, and uh, we'll probably uh, find a convenient place to park that at some point. It's been very fun, but it um, I don't know. I think a lot of us just... It seems like there's some love for the older the older game, which is surprising. And there you go. Anyway, that's me. Uh, but uh, look forward to seeing the next episode, which I see is already queued up on my podcaster thingy magic. So until next time, bye bye. Hello, and welcome to another irregular episode of Camping with Owlbears. I am the Lonely Adventurer. Uh, Jason, Rob, guys, thanks for your call-ins. I appreciate it. Um, Jason, yeah, uh, I think we do have some people in the group who have not seen... I know we have one person in the group who has never seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, a second person in the group who's no longer playing, but still obviously still comes and hangs out with us, uh, Kindred's player. Uh, they're taking a break from gaming for a little while. They get bunch of stuff going on busy 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 um they've seen the regular editions but they have not seen the extended editions and can you really call yourself a lord of the Rings film fan if you haven't seen the extended editions i don't think so so we'll get to them eventually that's fine um jason to your point about uh gaming yeah i really like the idea of gaming once a week although <laughs> Once the semester begins in a couple weeks, my, I might have a different opinion of that. I might need the time. That, every other week might be what I really need uh, time-wise, but um, we'll see. Um, but right now, yeah, I am jonesing for gaming every week. But my two groups of friends who are into D&D, uh, one group is younger. Uh, you know, they have active social lives uh, they're, or they're, they're at the beginnings of their careers and they're busy with work a lot. 
Um, and then the other group uh, are all a bunch of old farts like me. Um, however, their kids are all much younger than mine. I think only, yeah, only one of us in the group of six guys uh, has no kids. Um, but all the others have kids uh, who are in you know, elementary, middle school age. Um, and so, yeah, every other week is probably the best we could do. I suppose ugh, if I wanted to run a second game, I could run... I could bring back my dad's D&D game alternating every week. I just, uh, I don't want to play 5th edition, though. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though I am currently working on a supplement for 5th edition, it's not the game I want to play. And that's what most, no, most of them, that's what half of them are super into. I, I don't know. Who knows? Well, I'll think about that. Yeah. Luckily for me, oh, apologies if any of this is echoey. I've moved into my new studio space, uh, otherwise known as my daughter's old bedroom. Um, she was back with us for a couple of weeks um, as between uh, moving out of her campus on-campus apartment uh, into her first real apartment in the city. And uh, since it did not come with furnishings, as the, apart- the campus apartment did, uh, she took everything out of her room with her. The bed is gone. I, I disassembled the awesome loft bed that I built 10 years ago with my brother. Um, I'm sitting here looking at the pile of lumber right now. I have a friend who's, who's got a kiln, one of the, one of the D&D dads, uh, has a kiln in his backyard and, 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 and do, uh, does woodworking and whatnot. So he's going to take the raw lumber. That's all really nice cedar. But um, the bed is gone. Long live the bed. Uh, some good memories about building that with my brother, though. We uh, had some advice uh, from a, a, a friend of his who builds playground uh, equipment for the uh, parks department in New York City, which is where I was living at the time. Um, so this thing was, this thing was solid, y'all. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I could, me, a 230-pound man could put, bounce around on this thing, and it was, uh, uh, it, it didn't, nothing cracked, nothing broke, <laughs> nothing bent. Uh, it was a good bed. And yet very lightweight, because cedar is very lightweight. But anyway, the bed is gone. I'm in the echoey room right now. I've moved all of my office, my studio stuff in here. I got my big, uh, my standing desk back. Finally, uh, my year and a half of standing in a corner, uh, of my living room on a tiny desk that can barely hold my computer and Cintiq uh, are over. Um, I'm about half moved in, half moved out. Got a brand. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to keep my studio space across town. I'm going to work there once or twice a week. Uh, but primarily I'll be walking from home, which is better. The dog is old. My dog Walker is off at college. <laughs> so yeah, coming home in the middle of the day from my studio across the way, um, to walk the dogs is a major interruption. Um, so it's better to just be here with her. And she seems quite content to have the, uh, the company. Uh, so yeah, so that's where I'm at life-wise. That's, uh, let's talk about, uh, role-playing games, huh? Yeah. I'm gonna pause here for a sec. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about home real quick. The community-building game, I guess. Um, I wanted to build, to have a game system where the kind of the starting town, the the village of Hamlet, if you will, um, was central to the play. Um, and I just didn't find a lot of that out there. Uh, of course, you've got your domain level uh, play in OD&D or uh, more recently in uh, uh, Matt Colville was uh, Strongholds and Followers and um, kind of a you know, modern interpretation of that same idea for fifth edition. Um, and there are various systems. Uh, an Echo Resounding, uh, which is a Red Tide supplement, I think. Um, Kevin Crawford 
really good, but way too Bean County and uh, board gamey. I don't know, just a lot of them were that nothing. I wanted something that just sort of kind of happened organically as the map was explored and as players leveled up. Um, Beyond the Wall sets this up pretty well. If you've ever read that book, it's a kind of a, it's a BX derivative game. Um, it does a really good job of establishing characters' bonds to their their community, but doesn't really, at least in the, the bits I've read, doesn't go any further uh, than that. And so what I'm kind of working on, Holmes, is kind of a, it's a toolkit for creating a small sandbox adventure game centered on a remote community that the community grows and develops along with the, uh, the player characters. Your, your PCs go on adventures, they explore the map, they level up and gain access to resources that grow the community. Um, so yeah, it's designed four fifth. I'm designing four fifth edition. This is an actual work project that I'll be devoting a lot more time than it, <laughs> uh, than I'm able to to things like Relic uh, and Glaive. Um, and looking to hit the broadest market, I am designing four fifth edition D and D. But the, it's rules light, procedure heavy, and it's so system agnostic that I don't think it requires any modification so far uh, to work with most fantasy. RPGs, so that's cool. Um, it's designed to take your party from first to fifth level, uh, and then during that time, their tiny farming village will grow into a thriving town at the center of uh, a burgeoning new domain. Um, around that level, you know, five or six in OD&D and BX is when you start thinking about building your keep or your wizard's tower or whatever, uh, and this is just going to kind of do it for you. So the gameplay loop is that there's a way, there's some light sandboxing. Oh, well, not light sandboxing. Sorry, the whole thing is a sandbox. There's some light hex crawl. Um, The map is a simple seven hex hex flower. So one central hex, six uh, satellite hexes. Uh, Each hex 12 miles across, although I suppose you can make them however large you wish. Um, And that's a very small area by hex crawl standards. But if you think about walking around a 12-mile hex uh, with no roads or bad roads and they're dangerous, I mean, it's a lot of ground to cover uh, on foot. And because I want this to feel a little kind of smaller scale, cozier, um, I like the idea of just packing a lot of information in multiple things to discover and explore per hex. Um, Because it's a big space. It never made sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense... um, simulationist wise that each uh six mile hex let's say the 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 gold standard of of hex sizes only has one encounter slash location per hex um it does make sense if you're trying to key 100 hexes but if you've only got seven uh you can get a little more uh, you know i hesitate to use the word realistic but uh, a little more yeah well we'll we'll call it realistic uh (laughs) you can cram a lot more into their uh in a way that is plausible. Um, anyway, uh, so there's some real simple light uh, hex crawl rules, which I'm actually using in my current game that we tested out the other night and it seemed to work pretty well. Um, and yeah, so all resources that you are trying to gather to uh, grow your community are. Um, there's an obstacle problem or enemy that you have to get past around or negotiate with to gain access to it. So there's your adventures. Um, 
And yeah, so it takes a varying number of resources. Uh, so at the, at the low level, you only need two or three to upgrade the town as you get into the higher levels. Um, you, you need significantly more of them. Uh, so it, progression of the community slows down as you level up, but your characters also need more XP to level up, so their progression is slowing down. And but with each resource that they gather, uh, they should be able, there's like a little reward that goes with that. We'll probably talk about that in a sec. Um, so yeah, um, rules yet to be developed. Uh, there's some suggested uh, modifications to the five E rules, which once I write, we'll talk about. But just to kind of um, scale it down just a little bit, well, I guess you don't have to. These are these are all optional. Um, but to make it feel a little um, a little less Final Fantasy VII and a little more Lord of the Rings scale of of, of uh, magic and combat and things like that, um, and to give the exploration a little more um, to make it feel a little more interesting. Let's see where to begin here. Where to begin? Uh, so let's let's talk about the map real quick. Um, I've got a lot of half finished notes here, so I'm just kind of f flipping through them. Um, two important features of the hex map. So in our, our seven hex hex flower at the very center is the community in hex zero zero. And then we need to determine where the old road and the river uh, enter and leave our little map. Uh, you know, every post magical apocalypse setting worth its salt has a good old road running through it, the King's way, the Dwarven trade road, whatever. Um, and the river is not the only river or probably not the only river in the area, but it is the, the main artery. Uh, waterway through through the area. Um, so the way we're going to determine this is we need to picture in our mind the hex flower. So again, central hex, completely landlocked, so to speak, by the six surrounding hexes. Uh, the six exterior hexes all have three faces exposed along the edge of the map. And their three interior faces are either touching the home hex, hex zero, or the neighbors to their left, right, above and below, whatever. So each hex, each exterior hex has uh, three exposed faces. So the first thing we do is we roll 1d6 to determine which of the six exterior hexes the road enters through. And then we roll a d3 to determine which hex face it exits from. So because the one rule that goes along with this is that uh, the road or the river cannot exit a hex from a hex face that is adjacent to the one through which they entered. Let's, let's walk through that so it's a little less uh, word salad. So let's say we roll, uh, let's say one, two, three, four. Number four hex is the, is the bottom most hex of the hex flower, one being at the very top, zero in the center, working clockwise. So I roll a four, and that tells me that the old road enters the map through hex number four. Now I've got three exposed faces to that, the southeast, the south, the southwest. Um, I happen to roll a, a one on my D3. Um, so I'm gonna be entering hex four through the southeast face. Now I'm gonna roll a D3 to see where I exit from. I cannot exit through the south face because that is adjacent to where the road begins and I cannot exit through the southeast, uh, the northeast face because that's also adjacent to where the road begins. Uh, so my options are to immediately leave the map through the southwest corner of hex number four um, or go through the northwest or north 
hex face. So another roll, a, a three on my D3 gives me the north face. So the road now goes up into the central hex of the map. And then another similar roll, I get a one. So it's gonna exit through the northwest uh, corner of the central hex. And then a final roll of one again, exiting hex number six, exiting the map through the uh, southwest corner of the sixth hex. And so that just kind of randomly plots the chart uh, of the of the road through here. And then we did the same for the river. Um, and what I found is, while doing this a couple of times, it sort of generates questions and stories about what what's going on here. So I kind of want to do this before you even think about the, the geography of the setting, because these two simple procedures are going to tell you a whole bunch. Like, so for example, my road runs through the central hex where my town is. Well, that makes sense. So we're a small village or the remnants of a perhaps a larger community that used to be on the old road, or we have access to easy access to it. We might not be right on it, whatever. But why is our community not uh, one hex over and hex six where both the old, where the old road and the river cross each other? That seems like that would be a real important um, location back in the day. Um, so just kind of thinking it through, there's probably a, a, was a port there you would think a large, maybe a city or a huge, a large town. And, but as the old empire receded, it just became uh, too tempting a target. And you had river pirates coming in and bandits uh, who, who sacked the town and destroyed everything. And that's why there's no community over there. But we were far enough off the beaten path that we're still here. Um, so instantly that gives me some history for the area. Just, just, walking through that it also gives me a bunch of adventure hooks right like okay there's a resource there is a port town that could be reclaimed and repopulated um that would allow me to grow my central community um i have to get through these back are the pirates still there of course the pirates are still there that's gameable material um i can foreshadow this by also having um some of the these bandits pirates whatever uh a little landlocked with me in the central hex as one of the threats to overcome as a low level adventure like that's a that's a great uh, i have a um i have a, a little introductory adventure that i've run a bunch of times for people called the black arrow gang um and it's just a little five room dungeon and but it sets up a whole bunch of different story and that would be interesting to kind of foreshadow this larger threat of an entire ruin populated by a um a small banded army by by having this little intro adventure with uh, uh clearing the road of uh, these bandits maybe the bandits are expanding uh away from the river as uh, as the traffic becomes lighter and lighter on the river because of their piracy uh they're now having to kind of start exploring in other either direction along the road um, so that right there just gave me a whole bunch of ideas for uh, where to go with play on this. The other thing that I'm kind of thinking about, uh, I haven't written up yet, is uh, having a big bad guy, a big bad evil guy for your little, your little hex crawl. Um, so it's a sandbox, so there's no narrative per se. But I still think having, you know, one, at least uh, there's going to be a bunch of different things going on, but one big thing going on. And I'm, I'm kind of even thinking beyond just this level one through five progression but going like what if i'm thinking like ahead to level 10 level 12 what would that bad guy look like uh and then working backwards from there so if that larger bad guy that kingdom level bad guy if you look at the the tiers of play in D D, at the low level where this is this is your your regional hero um and then from level five to ten i think five to twelve you're talking like kingdom level problems that they deal with whatever that means um it's a little vague i guess but um at that level, an appropriate challenge, 
per the math of D&D 5th edition, which is pretty questionable, but uh, using their math, um, an appropriate challenge for a party of four or five Tenth level characters would be, you know, like a mature dragon or a vampire or something, and of course all their minions. Um, so working backwards, the big bad guy of my little hex flower could be a vampire spawn, um, or the leader of a dragon cult, or you know something like that. So so setting this, planting the seeds for a larger long, you know, being extremely optimistic uh, for a larger longer campaign, uh, and then working backwards to tie it into my little my little hex here and then so that gives me like a bunch of unrelated but interesting things so one of these hexes is going to have uh let, let's say the, the 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 vampire spawn in it um who is doing what i don't know <laughs> um i'd have to work that out uh looking for things that vampires want which i guess is just blood um they're setting up a blood farm uh somewhere on here and you get you have a bunch of undead and, and ghouls and skeletons and all that fun stuff but at the other end of the map you've got these 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 Joshmo mundane uh, bandits and pirates um, are they at odds with each other can you play them those factions against one another you know your stand your standard sandbox stuff um, and since there's no level gating you know if the players go directly from their level one introductory uh, adventure to uh, facing the vampire spawn uh, they can try that. There's probably a lot more resources. They're gonna the, the the resource value of whatever you get from something like a vampire spawn is gonna be much higher than what you get from some low level bandits on the road. Um, you're probably going to go, well, going to die, <laughs> um, but if you don't, the rewards will be awesome. Um, and then the basic intent is that by the time you're done here, you control all seven hexes, um, and essentially you're at fifth level, and you are at that point in old school D&D where domain play is assumed to become part of the game and for each physical uh, resource you collect like that that port town um, if you control that and you you gain the resource of that um, another little thorpe pops up there another little community pops up there that becomes part of your larger network whereas the vampire spawn whatever they have um, there's probably nothing physical there that you're going there you know the, the vampire spawn is probably not has probably not moved into the old silver mine. You know, that's that's more of a cobalt thing. Um, so you may not get anything out of that, but anywhere there's a physical uh, or a tangible resource to get uh, access to, to fishing, um, uh, the silver mine, uh, a quarry, whatever, um, a new little community will pop up there automatically, uh, basically. And then as your central community levels up, uh, all of your satellite communities also pop up a level and this all just kind of runs in the background um there's four levels of communities starting with uh, so thorpe to hamlet hamlet to village village to town um they're all very arbitrary because uh, i mean thorpe is just a, a middle english word that means hamlet or village um, and the only difference between a hamlet or a village is that a village has a church and a hamlet does not uh, at least in medieval england i couldn't find any other you know places where that the that came up um towns are obviously their own thing they had charters they were separate from uh well they had varying degrees of independence from the ability of you know, they're, they're their own thing but by the time you are done here you should have um a town at the center of your map walls towers a keep the whole nine yards a couple of satellite communities that are dependent upon it uh possibly a network of trade and allies um 
and you're now ready to hit the, the wider world and then oh next door there's your there's your vampire kingdom and you have suddenly you have finally gotten large enough to that they, they notice you and you're on their radar um so yeah i i think this is going to be fun we'll see uh oh other resources that you can get um along intangible lines like uh if you clear the dungeon of the uh, that, that was an old wizard's tower you know that there's a lot of lore and history and books there well that's something that's going to bring uh certain kinds of npcs and, and vendors and businesses to your main town um perhaps there's a band you know there's a, there are bands of uh, wood elves in a neighboring hex they've got problems you help them with their problems they become allies that's more resources gathered so like i said some of them are tangible fishing ports some of them are intangible ally friendship with the elves um but they all grow the community as your characters grow and and that's that's the long and the short of it um stocking the actual map is uh you know pretty similar to gygax's and 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 ray's uh, uh ray otis's excellent uh remixing of gygax's uh, advice on uh, creating a starting campaign um it's just a little sandbox and needs a couple of adventure locations and things but yeah um i've got a whole collecting there's like a side game a game within the game which i haven't worked out the rules for yet so i'm not going to talk about too much but uh where players can uh try to entice certain npcs uh to set up shop in their community um so there was an open list of NPCs that they have access to, uh, so you know, let's say a D8 uh, innkeepers, uh, and if they want to have one of these innkeepers come and set up shop, they can kind of um, schmooze and 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 carouse uh, that way. So replacing the carousing system, which is great, but you know, you don't normally want to go on drunken bingers and burn down the inn in the place where you live full time and everyone knows who you are. Um, so kind of replacing the more destructive, though extremely fun carousing of uh, most of my games. Uh, with this more uh, collect all the NPCs uh, sort of a thing, and and by part of that is spending gold. Although I think the bigger part of it, much more interesting than just buying someone to come to your town, is uh, what what do they need, what do they want, and then there those right there is adventure seeds. Um, so yeah, should be good. I think. Let me just flip through here real quick, make sure there's nothing that I'm missing. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, well, real quick, let's talk about just the hex crawling procedure. Um, it is a very small hex, so I've kind of like pared it back and streamlined it a lot. Um, well, we'll talk about that actually in a second because we use these rules in uh, my game uh, last week or two weeks ago. So yeah, so that that's that's it so far. I'm working on NPCs, uh, lots of NPC tables, quirks for them, needs for them, agendas for them, um, so that a DM can quickly roll up a lot of one-line inspirational stuff, see what the players are interested in, and then, you know, then invest the time in, in, in fleshing them out. But yeah, so that's where we're at with all this. I'm going to pause for a second, and uh, I'll be right back. Boop. Okay, I'm back. So Let's talk a little bit about a little, a little bit about our new game. The group does not have a, a name yet. Uh, I'm not sure what to call them, but the uh, the adventure is called the Usurper's Gambit. Um, bringing in some old uh, baddies from last campaign that were sort of there peripherally, and then they were kind of in the way of what we were doing. And yeah, so I'm, I'm bringing things more uh, more central here. Uh, anyhow, I, I forget if I talked about this last time, but. Uh, 
the characters were really invested in uh, Astrid, the daughter of the former king who declared herself king, uh, and her kind of mentor uh, slash older girlfriend, uh, Brady, the uh, captain of the guard in uh, Visprana, uh, formerly called Haven, but I couldn't stand that name. It was too video gamey, so now it's called Visprana. Now that I've actually done a hex crawl, I, I did a big hex uh map, by the way, uh, of my setting a while ago, and uh, fleshed out a good chunk of it with some help from some uh, some folks on uh, various discords. I think uh, I've got like 80 or 90 hexes keyed, uh, and I've got maybe 20, 30 left to go. Um, if I, <laughs> I, I probably should have, you know, figured out if I was actually going to do a hex crawl before investing all that time and energy, but it was a lot of fun to do, but uh, it really helped me flesh out like uh, kind of a, do a 2.0 version of my uh, my arcane uh, O'Neill cylinder and really kind of nail down the lore in a way that I was much happier with. Um, so it's a soft reboot on the world. Uh, the game is taking place. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they were super invested in the king and, and her uh, and her buddy there. Uh, so those two are central to the uh, narrative. And then I thought I was going to bring back one of the uh, the PCs from the last campaign as a central NPC in this one, but then the players, as we were talking a couple weeks ago, brought up a little, uh, a, a local vendor who is uh, basically kind of an animal kin. She's a, you know, like a, a humanoid bat person. Um, picture, <laughs> which in my head, I always think of the original Star Wars cantina. There's just a quick cut of a, of a short person in a bat mask and a space and like a jumpsuit pulling a beer off the, uh, off the bar in Mos Eisley there. Uh, that's basically what this vendor is. Um, except she talks like an old Yiddish woman and uh, she, um, you know, she sells uh, magic items and uh, well, it's usually like you know, low level stuff. She's, a, she's basically a, a fancy, uh, fancy charms dealer, I guess. I don't know, mundane magic stuff. Uh, random wands you can buy from her, unlabeled, so you don't know what you're getting. Um, She's a lot of fun. And uh, so, yeah, they, they were all excited. To, they were like, well, I hope we get to deal with her again. So I brought her in uh, as a central figure also. In fact, uh, Druna, her name is, uh, hired the PCs to do their first uh, adventure. Um, she hired them to uh, swipe a, uh, an object, an artifact from... Uh, well, from I don't know where. Uh, this is kind of something I put out in front of the players. Um, we are jumped. We've jumped a couple years ahead of the last campaign. Um, I guess that doesn't matter here. Anyway, so I put it to the players to construct their heist. They were hired to retrieve this magical item. Tell me where it was. Where is the objective? The location? Three obstacles? An unforeseen twist? And tell me about your getaway. Um, so they decided that the first heist, uh, and we're going to kind of do this as a flashback, um, the heist was to steal um, a magical puzzle box from an unscrupulous uh, art collector uh, in a nearby town. And they decided that nearby town had to be Brewer's Bridge, which is the town uh, that uh, uh, F.J. Walder uh, it became Lord of in their last campaign. Um, but uh, the, this, this former player character is not the person they were ripping off, just someone else in the town. Um, the, so the location was their, their villa. Um, obstacles they had to overcome was they tra it was traps, undead. Oh, they decided I think he was also sort of an unnecromancer. There were zombies. Um, 
So there's undead, there was traps, and something else. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yes. Uh, F.J. Walder became aware of their of what they were doing, um, but it was also not a fan of this noble and was a bit torn. Uh, and so rather than just stopping them, instead he unleashed um, his extreme teen young adventurer camp uh, folks at them. So that was, that was part of F.J.'s... Uh, uh, epilogue in our last campaigns so that they returned to Brewer's Bridge, uh, started repopulating it, but also opened up basically uh, an extreme, uh, extreme sports uh, training camp for would-be adventurers. And so they had to overcome uh, and get away from, uh, from all these guys. Um, one of the unforeseen twists was uh, that one of the characters died uh, in a awful scythe trap accident and uh but then reappeared on the road as the characters were leaving the area so one of the players uh fj walder's player actually uh banter pax is a uh, an eladon of Kos, uh, which is out of my relic game it's essentially a paladin um but basically what happens is the 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 this dispersed ancient artificial intelligence that is the kind of the autonomic nervous system of the space station will occasionally decide it needs uh, agents to rewrite, make edits to reality for it directly. And uh, it's always got a baker's dozen of these things, 13 of these these Edelons of Kos. And when one dies, it replaces it. And it just, it just plucks the soul of whoever happens to die in that moment when it needs a replacement um, and plugs them into basically prints them off a new 3d prints them off a new meat body and implants their consciousness into this so you're kind of a revenant a little bit sort of an undead yourself um and you have no memory of your of your former life um and so this is what happened to banter they were actually shoved into the trap by one of the other players uh the elven barbarian portobello uh because they were in a past romantic uh entanglement together and it didn't go well and in a fit of jealous rage portobello took uh the rash action of uh shoving their former lover into the uh into the trap while no one was looking and uh, imagine their surprise when uh, as they were running out of town away from the extreme teen adventurers uh standing in the road to meet them was a much paler more ghostly looking version of uh, of banter packs again uh, so now they are rivals. Uh, Portobello does not believe banter, doesn't remember any of it. <laughs> um, we went around and kind of re-looked at our, our bonds and whatnot, kind of fleshed those out a little bit more. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. I'm just looking. I have this crazy uh, flowchart Venn diagram thing of all of the uh, all of the characters. But, uh Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how all this goes. We've got Chudbait Larex, the uh, the dwarven gun priest, is uh, is got a bond of uh, one soul and two bodies with Serge Gargle, the uh, frogman skirmisher, um, which they have interpreted as they are basically best buds. Um, they were also have a bond of love triangle, and we were trying to figure out who that was with. So we've decided some future NPC as yet discovered uh, that they were in this kind of love triangle with, uh, but their friendship obviously won out. Um, they were both also, no, Banter Pax, the, the Revenant, and uh, Chudbait, the gun priest, they apprenticed together, and they were guild members together. This, this must have been before Banter's untimely death, um, and they decided that they were members of the, uh, the mystical uh, tattooist guild, um, 
which is basically started by was started by uh, Belladonna, uh, one of our former players uh, who got Dungeon Madness on her last uh, uh, last miss session, session before last in our campaign. She was unable to make it, and uh, yeah, came back with Dungeon Madness. Doesn't trust paper anymore. Uh, has started tattooing all of her spells all over her body in, in code that only she can understand. And five years later, now she's you know shaved her head and her eyebrows every, every, basically anything that obscures the real estate of her skin for putting more tattoos on um, and she started this whole craze of, of tattoo magic thing uh, and these guys were uh, learning that from her uh, Maldroma Brash Mal, uh, she is our our Amazon of Joru uh, she has cousins with the, with the frogman and she is aunt to Portobello the Elf. Uh, we've decided that the auntie is, is more of the... She was best friends with Portobello's mom. Um, they're also reluctant allies. I don't think... We, we decided that Portobello does not like having uh, this kind of judgmental, bossy aunt figure uh, uh, constantly around. Um, not sure. We haven't figured out how Surge and Mal are cousins yet. Um, although it's very possible. Like, a lot of the animal kin come from when... Uh, it's a very kind of animistic uh, belief systems and kind of the, the, the way the gods and spirits and stuff work in the setting um, is very animistic. And sometimes these little nature spirits or, or ancestors, just they, they want to inhabit physical bodies. They want to experience food again. They want to have sex with someone. They want to just be people for a while, whatever. Um, but when they have offspring, the offspring tend to manifest as these animal kin. Um, so, yeah, so we've decided they are actually cousins, um, despite one of them being a frog and one of them being a blue-skinned Amazon. <clears throat> and they are both indebted to an unscrupulous nature spirit, uh, which I think ties back to this somehow, though we're still working on the details. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun little, a lot of good little stuff here. I'm really, I'm really happy with the way that, uh, that kind of fiasco-style character bonds thing worked out. Um, I may have already said this in the past, but I think the only thing I would do differently is rather than having, um, if when each person rolls for the person to their left and the person to their right, you create two bonds in both directions. And I think maybe it would have been better to uh, roll for the person to your right, but then instead of rolling for the person to your left, roll for the person across the table from you or three people to your right, left or whatever, um, so that all characters had something connecting all of them instead of these two-way connections that we've uh we've ended up with or three-way whatever yeah you, you know what i mean anyway so that went well and so i had them like narrate this to me and we talked about it for a while um i'm sorry <laughs> i'm jumping around uh, i had them narrate that first heist to me and um once we had established the getaway the final bit of it uh, i told them that they leveled up, excuse me, they level up to level two, so we spent some time doing that. Uh, we also decided retroactively that Druna, who hired them, would have given them each 15 gold pieces to spend on mundane uh, equipment that they would have needed, that would have been handy on their heist. Um, so we spent a good 20 minutes or so both shopping and leveling up characters and getting a little more familiar with the, the way picking a second template in Relic works and uh, picking up... Um, magic dice uh two things that i really enjoyed was uh surge gargles player uh, their first template is in skirmisher which is kind of a um uh a mad mardigan 
uh, Xena Warrior Princess, kind of a, you know, a much more acrobatic fighter um, for their second template, took a template in Thief, um, which I think is great. Um, and then during the, there, so they've already multi-classing, everyone else just stuck with their, their one class. And uh, during the mundane shopping, I just had one of those little like proud dungeon master moments um, <laughs> where uh, they were going through and someone saying, you know, get, I get the grappling hook, get the sponge, get the get the ten foot pole. And the new our new player, uh, Serge's player, uh, who has not played any old real old school games except for the last two sessions with us, which really didn't touch on any of the the, the didn't really kind of hit any of the tropes of uh, dungeon crawling. Um, they were really confused by this. They're like, well, what do we need a bucket for? What do we need a 10-foot pole for? And to have the players be like, oh, yeah, this, this, and we use this one time for that. And, you know, explaining the, 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 the myriad uses of these mundane items um, was just delightful for me. It's like, yeah, excellent learning. <laughs> it has occurred. <laughs> um, yeah. So... That's kind of where we're at uh, with that. Uh, the rest of the session was getting back town and seeing, discovering that a coup had occurred while they were away. Uh, Druna's shop was locked up tight. Um, they couldn't get in. Um, there were uh, unfamiliar soldiers all over town. There were signs of fighting, and a few buildings had burned. Um, and as they're trying to get into Druna's place... Uh, they dislodge a little paper golem that was wedged between the uh, door plate and the door itself, and it runs up into the market square and into the, the golden turnip, uh, the tavern that I spent way too much time on developing last uh, campaign that no one cared about, <laughs> uh, along with this, the same for the NPC that I put too much time into, Omen Halfogre, that no one cared about, um, or no one chose to go after uh, to investigate further once he was no longer useful for the quest. Uh, and yeah, so they had they interacted with the, the barkeep in there, the little paper golem uh, threw itself basically into his uh, shirt pocket. Uh, and while they're talking with him, they realize that there's a, a half dozen of these guards, uh, these unfamiliar soldiers, uh, drinking at the other end of the tavern. Tensions are high. Uh, Omen cannot keep a secret, and he loves collecting rumors, so he basically brought them up to speed that uh, another local noble, a Lady Blackwood, who had was a bit of a background problem in our last uh, campaign, um, took over. Um, there's a bunch of kind of background stuff that made that possible that the players can find out uh, if they wish. Uh, did I already say that? Forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Um... If you are a player, you need to stop listening now because we might get into some stuff. Um, but you were there. You saw it all. Um, but I don't want to spoil any future fun for you. So, yeah, if you are a listener, stop now. Um, so, yeah, he had all kinds of rumors. Um, Astrid had a hard year. She lost some of her, her, her most ardent uh, supporters. Um, I don't know what to do with F.J. Walder. My plan with the XPC was that he had also been either not taken out, but had gone missing during all of this. Uh, but then him being part of the original heist, well, he could still go missing. And, you know, it's fine. It's going to work out fine. Anyway, um, there's a whole conspiracy that's been playing out over the last year, uh, campaign year, or world, in-game year, uh, in the background. And uh, she... Uh, Astrid and Brady and a small group of uh, the King's Guard uh, escaped the city uh, at the last moment, uh, headed southwest on the uh, on the uh, on the ceramic highway. Um, 
And then the party convinced Omen, so the party got whatever information they were going to get out of him, and then they, they asked if they could have the paper golem back, uh, and he was more than happy to turn that over to them. And uh, at this point, the guards noticed them and, and were uh, took an interest. Uh, no one's supposed to be carrying weapons. These guys are all heavily armed. They just came back from an adventure. Um, and the sergeant comes over and starts hassling and berating them. And uh, F.J. Walder, uh, sorry, not F.J. Walder, <laughs> Banter Pax, the Revenant, uh, they can't speak. And they've got some, they've got some vaguely paladin-like powers, I guess. Basically, they have the command spell. And depending on how many templates of this character you take, you can do more and more things with the command spell. Um, but you got to kind of be careful. <laughs> um, you can command, you know, the, the ocean to give up its dead. You can command someone to just die. Um, yeah. Um, so you can do a lot with it, but you can also get yourself in a lot of trouble with it. Um, and the effects only last as long as the spell, depending on how many dice you invest in it and the numbers you roll and all that jazz. That's the whole magic dice system from, from Glog. Um, anyway, yeah, so uh, they... Rather than a fight, which is what I planned for, um, I figured since we had a lot of, I knew we had a lot of talking going on at the early in the session, I figured there'd be a, a bloodbath here. Uh, instead, they commanded him to sing, I believe it was, and they rolled so well and his saving throw was so bad that uh, we det- I determined he got up on the bar and was dancing and, you know, Omen produced a, uh, a squeeze box, a little accordion from underneath the bar also, and a whole thing started. The other soldiers were very confused about what was going on. Um, and uh, the party just kind of, you know, Homer Simpson into the shrub, uh, backed their way out of the tavern, uh, and then hit the road as quickly as possible. And then we engaged a bit with the, uh, uh, with the hex crawling rules, which I really like. Um, so the basic rules are this, uh, when traveling across the map, um, there are, uh, three moves per day that you can make, um, which I realize is not a whole lot compared to standard hex crawl procedures, but whatever. I'm simplifying. I don't care. <laughs> um, one of the actions, if one of the actions is not stopping uh, to rest, the party gains a level of exhaustion and they cannot gain the benefits of a long rest. Um, so, and if they are moving along the ceramic highway, they can get a free move if all of their moves are along the ceramic highway. Um, so they got several miles, a dozen or so miles south of, uh, of town to a major, uh, Visbrana, to a major river crossing, and decided to set up camp there and investigate. Uh, it finally took the time to uh, investigate this little paper golem. And they were able to sort it could communicate a little bit, so they had kind of like a pantomime conversation with it. And then finally it, um, I think they asked about Druna specifically where she was, and it kind of like folded itself up and shredded itself a bit uh, and kind of pulled itself apart like a string of paper dolls uh, but instead of little figures it spelled out uh, the word Old Gate um, we did some role playing, some roles were made and it turns out that uh, uh, Chedbait Larex is actually from the town of uh, Old Gate which is uh, to the southwest uh, of Visprana so they're heading down the, the ceramic highway hoping to find Astrid and uh, uh, Brady, not because these PCs have care one way or the other, but just because the car- the players themselves uh, care. Uh, and it turns out that Druna was also headed in that direction um, when the city was uh, when the coup happened. Um, so they set camp. They then used uh, 
they spent their the next the night passes the next day happens their first action they use on uh hunting uh which is another one of the the hex crawl things so you can spend an action to hunt and forage for food and basically you find a, a set um i think it's like d4 d4 rations per per player if you spend an entire uh, action doing this is a, a good you know a third of your day uh, hunting and foraging uh, and if you've got certain kinds of characters you'll get more rations because uh, food is important in my game and eating things is important in my game um, so if you've got a, a hunter or an amazon which i do or a dungeon gourmand uh, you'll get more rations and uh, so they they gathered their role wasn't great but they they gathered enough rations to make up what they ate the day before uh, and then headed back down the road, at which point uh, they came upon the corpses of some horse claws, the big chocobo chicken things that people use as horses in my setting, um, and were beset by uh, several bandits. And we finally had a fight, <laughs> and uh, they killed the bandits, and then realized afterwards they should have... Uh, kept one of them alive to get some information out of them and uh investigated the chocobos and they had the, the bridles had the badges of uh, astrid's household on them and the saddlebags had been looted and the animals had been partially butchered for their meat um searching around the area for a while they eventually found uh, a footpath down by the river uh and they followed this uh, for some time eventually to a a um a small grotto with a lake in it uh, where the river or a pond where the river originates um, there's actually a it's a, a box canyon uh, with a waterfall and the waterfall feeds into the pond and the river comes out of the pond um, and through kind of sneaking around investigating they realized that there was architecture uh, something unnatural behind the waterfall and then they spotted the lookout um, kind of halfway up this this verdant green wall of rock and tree and vines uh is was a, another one of these bandits and uh, serge gargle snuck up there with their new thiefy skills and shoved them off into the water and the rest of them jumped them and uh they had their uh they had their their prisoner uh at last to interrogate and they discovered that there's an entire bandit hideout behind this waterfall <laughs> and i just dumped on them where's my little box of what the bandits know um not in this document that's where Mm. yes here we are maybe no i don't know sorry <laughs> uh there we are the waterfall layer so they uh basically got an info dump at the end of our last session which i'll have to remind them of i'm sure um of what the bandits know then this guy was able to tell them you know the numbers that are inside there's a dozen and a half or so bandit recruits occupying the outpost they are led by a veteran named scrote um, i have taken all the terrible off-color names from the uh the reavers in the guardians of the galaxy they've got some great names you should go on a wiki and look at that good npc names um he answers to the black arrow herself uh, she's the head of this bandit clan and de facto ruler of the nearby steading of Oldgate. Uh, a half day's travel southwest along the ceramic highway. Uh, Scrote received a message from the Black Arrow three days ago. The messenger said that something big had kicked off in Visprana and that they should keep their eyes open for young King Astrid traveling with royal escort. Capture her and that someone would collect her and anything she was carrying. Um, Scrote followed his orders. Astrid was ambushed and taken along with her Master of Arms, Brady Longfellow, sorry, not the Captain of the Guard, Master of Arms, uh, and a bat-faced merchant. Uh, as well as the king's advisor, the mad sorceress Belladonna. 
the guards were slaughtered and left to rot on the road. Um, and Astrid's possession was something. He doesn't know what. Yeah, I don't do a little quick cross out there. Uh, the Black Arrow herself arrived two days ago in the company of some bogmen, a fact that troubles the bandits. They don't like these bogmen. Uh, the bogmen left with Belladonna and Astrid uh, for some place called Viskilwan. Um, they don't know where that is or what that is, but something for the players to investigate. Um, the Black Queen took Druna, the Bat-Faced Lady, uh, back to Old Gate for unknown purposes. Uh, Brady, Master of Arms, was left was badly wounded and thus was left behind. The bandits intend to take her to a local owlbear cave and watch her fight for sport before she bleeds out on the floor. Um, the guys are very keen that Brady is essentially um, Brianna from uh, Game of Thrones. Brienne? Brianna? A big, tall, blonde lady. <laughs> um, they're very much into that idea. So yeah, I thought of that bear fight uh, that she had and said that this is the fate awaiting them. Now, if any of this seems familiar, and again, players, if you are listening, please stop right now. <laughs> or I'm going to see your goodness. This is going to be all spoiled for you. Um, if any of this seems familiar to you, guys, especially if you've run or played 5th uh, edition Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, that I've taken the bones of that starter set adventure, and I'm just using it for for this. Uh, I've swapped out the dwarves that you don't give a shit about for any reason because you don't know them um, for NPCs that my characters are actually invested in. Um, I've gotten rid of the whole the goblins and the hobgoblins and all that, and I'm using my own factions for it. But the the basic bones of that adventure are really solid. Um, they need a little developing, of course, but we'll get into that. Um, so, like, for example, uh, in that game, the, the black spider is, you hear about them a lot, but you never interact with them, um, and you never see them, and by the time you, you get to them, it's like, who cares, it's just some random bad guy. Um, so, with their little prologue that they narrated for me, I also kind of narrated a, a bit where the, 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 well, we're not calling them the black arrow, the, the red lotus in our game, um, showed up, and uh, just behind the player characters and they were also after the same thing uh that they retrieved um and what this thing is basically it's a it's the something that will get them past the guardian of uh it's not the forge of fury whatever the forge of spells is that what it is uh whatever it is lost minds but i have my own thing from a dungeon i wrote uh last year um and it's basically code that will get you through an old uh, arcane uh computer kind of thing it's passwords and all that that will uh prevent the ai that runs this this dungeon from auto murdering you basically um it's not necessary to get at your uh, the final objective in the dungeon but it makes it a lot easier anyway so they're going to be running into the red lotus a, a, a lot in character before actually finally facing off against them um so yeah, so that was the that's that's the uh, the crag the uh, the bandit am the goblin ambush and then the beginnings of the Cragmore hideout. Um, I'm using a different dungeon. I've reheated and whatnot. Again, I'm just I'm taking the bones and and kind of adapting it. Um, but it's just, that's just really of all the fifth edition adventures I've read, and I think I gave up after Storm King's Thunder. Um, of all the adventures for fifth edition that I've read, the official Wizards ones anyway, um, it's the only one that's good. <laughs> it's just a really solid adventure. It's got that great little sandbox section in the middle in chapter three where they have a bunch of goals and quasi-objectives and some rumors and they're kind of free to go do what they want. Um, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and I might end up incorporating some bits and pieces from 
the essentials kit also because I've got that as well. I haven't had a chance to really look at that. It doesn't look as good, but some of the little quests in there could be useful for side adventures. We'll see. So that's where we're that's where we're at gaming wise. So gaming home. I think that's it. Yeah, good, because this is... God, this is long. So long. They're always so long. Uh, I hope you all have long commutes <laughs> or lots of free time on your hands. Anyway, this is Lonely Adventure signing out. Game off. Game off? Game on? No, I don't say game on. I got... You know, you know. I, I keep forgetting my outro. This is embarrassing now. This is like the fifth episode in a while. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lonely Adventure out.